Welcome to the video ladies and gentlemen. It's been a while. Since we are all about not wasting your time. Let's jump right into it. Let's finagle this bagel. Alright, boom! Hey what's going on everybody? Welcome to the 5 minutes or less Essential Finance YouTube channel. My name is Alex and today I will be joined by Kirk Marvis, the CEO and co-founder of Q Media. Among his other achievements, Kurt is the former president of Digital Media at Lionsgate, founder of Next Level Entertainment, and former co-founder and CEO of Cinema Now. I know the premise of my channel is five minutes or less. It's about delivering concise, straight to the point, juicy finance information. However, the person who I will be interviewing today more than merits our time. Thank you, Kurt, for joining us today. Take it away, Kurt Marvis. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate you. Appreciate being the first guinea pig of this new experiment. <laughs> All right. So let's jump into this with my first question. So when I was doing my due diligence, um, I, I noted that earlier in your career, uh, you were pretty heavily involved in the music industry at MTV, particularly making music videos for prominent artists during the heavy metal era in the 80s. Um, so I, I imagine that must have been pretty wild. Uh, so could you tell us more about how that was in general and how that impacted your career? Yeah, I mean, um, I actually started my career as a wildlife cameraman and wildlife filmmaker, adventure filmmaking. And I used to say that I changed from working with wild animals uh, to working with wilder animals. Um, so the, in, the, in the metal years, you know, when you're working with Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, Ozzy Osbourne, Metallica, Megadeth, uh, Poison, you know, Judas Priest. I mean, you, you see a lot of crazy stuff go on. And, and it's funny, right behind me, that, uh, oops, term it, that, that gold trophy back there, that's what's called the MTV Lifetime Achievement Award that, uh, that they give out once a year at the MTV Awards. And so it's an honor to have received that. Yeah, it's mine. Yeah, it's called, it's called the Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award. And that's from a long time ago. And my joke is, as I say, I, we, we received that reward because we were still alive after working with all the bands that we worked with. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The thing about MTV that was, that was uh, you know, germane and I think of interest to your, to your audience is MTV was the voice of a generation of young people. It affected uh, the politics. I mean, a lot of people say MTV got Bill Clinton elected president. Uh, they created uh, really interesting political uh, things about mothers against drunk drivers, rock the vote. Uh, uh, if you were a kid in the 80s and, and early 90s, MTV was part of the fabric of your life. Mm -hmm. And what we do today at QU Media it revolves all around social video. What do you see like being the newest uh, trend nowadays? Like what, what's the new MTV? Social video, meaning all those different platforms, is to the youth of the world what MTV was back in the 80s and 90s. I think the trend is self-publishing, doing exactly what you're doing, okay? In, in, in the 80s, you would have had to have a talk show on television. That was the only way to distribute. There was nothing else. There was no other way, unless you had a magazine or print format or something. There's no video-based way to do that. And so what's happened, I mean, YouTube's, YouTube used to, they're, they're, I was saying this on uh, the other day, it's, it was, their expression was broadcast yourself. That was the, one of their original things that they put out. And 
you know, YouTube is only 14 years old. It's hard to imagine the world without YouTube. You know, it'll probably, assuming it doesn't get banned everywhere in the world, be impossible to imagine a world without TikTok. And, you know, and everybody forgets Facebook what didn't start as a video-based medium, it was a text-based medium. It was, a, it was then an image-based medium with text, and then it turned into a video-based medium. So now that you know, we all carry these things around in our pockets 24 hours a day, seven days a week, everywhere in the world, it's not in, developing, it's not in developed countries, it's everywhere. Africa, India, you, know, you name it, there's this explosion of video content that's never been seen before in the history of mankind and an ability for people like yourself to go after communities and seek very, very specific communities and niche audiences that you can go after to do that. That's fascinating to me. And it's a different challenge and different issue than MTV because the, 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 the part then was scarcity. Nobody could get onto that channel. Now it's the exact opposite. There is no scarcity. Anybody can do it. So how do you find the best of that and find an audience when there's, you know, 47 billion things to watch out there? So it's a really interesting time in, in video history. Like what would you say is the um, driving factor in success in, uh, in this space? Would it be quality, quantity, or mix of both, uh, marketing? It's a great question and a really tough one to answer. It's... Um, because sometimes you have things come out of the woodwork that you just wouldn't necessarily expect. I think it's, um, I think it's finding a specific community. If you were to say, what do I think is the ultimate bottom line? It's, it's finding a community and then broadcasting content that resonates with that community. Again, you're a perfect example of it. You're going after an investor audience that has specific interests that wants to know about certain things and you're working every day to, to deliver content to that audience to grow that audience because you're giving them something of value. On the other hand, if you're a broad-based entertainer on a TikTok platform and your audience is, is, is 12 to 17-year-old girls, then you better make sure that you're creating content that's going to speak to that audience and become stuff that they want to watch and probably emulate. And so it, it's really, at the end of the day, it's about who's your community. And there'll always be very broad-based communities, but I think now you find a lot more people who have, you know, 100,000 dedicated fans uh, in a way that, that, that creates a business for them. It's a lot actually like the music business in terms of bands that have had long careers that might not be as famous as the Rolling Stones or Madonna or Drake or whoever, but they're, they're, they have a very good business that they run because they've got a very, very hardcore fan base that watches all their shows and, and buys all their music. And I guess that's kind of what you guys are trying to leverage with QU. Am I correct? Yeah, I mean, the difference between us, we're not trying to out YouTube YouTube. I mean, you know, the last time I checked, nobody was complaining about YouTube, really. I mean, it provides a wonderful, amazing, spectacular offering, which is why it's worth probably a couple hundred billion dollars today. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, everybody also forgets that YouTube almost got shut down a couple times over piracy issues and other things that they faced in the early days, and they somehow navigated through that. But, but the... That our business is all about curation. I'm a big believer that uh, people are A, lazy, and I also am a big believer that people like to be shown what's cool or told what's cool. That's why there's mannequins in, in, in department stores and so that people can look, oh, I want that sweater. That looks good on that mannequin. I mean, it's an insane thing when you think about it. There's this plastic figure, you know, showing you what you're going to look like. So fashion, music, 
uh, pop culture. It's all about it's all about handing something to somebody and telling them this is cool. And so what the Q, what QU Media is all about at the end of the day is we're big believers that in this enormous ocean of content, there's a business around the curation of the best of that and targeting that into audiences in much the same way that, that, that media has worked since the beginning. Well, what are radio stations? Radio stations are curation platforms of specific content that speaks to a certain audience. Some people listen to pop music channels, some people listen to classical music channels, some people listen to news channels. Depends on what you want, but you know what you're gonna get when you get there. And it's not every pop song, it's not every piece of news, it's not every piece of classical music, it's a curated list of that that speaks to an audience and delivers what they're looking for. We're much the same sort of mindset in terms of what we're doing at QU Media. You guys are really working directly with the content creators. Yeah, I mean, look, I believe the, when I was in the music video days, you know, David Fincher and Michael Bay, who became, you know, iconic film directors, started out doing music videos. Michael Bay was doing Richard Marks videos. And um, I look at creators in the short form video content world exactly the same way today. And the personalities, the, the digital creators, uh, these are the people who are the Tom Cruises and the Steven Spielbergs and the David Finchers of the future. And I'm also a big believer that even though I'm one of the old guys, I know enough to know that I'm not going to be that creator because I don't understand the audience. Like I did when I made music videos, I was in the odd, I was of the age group of the audience I was creating for. So I'm running the business of the business right now. I'm not running the creative decision-making process. I'm helping look at things, explain things, think about them, provide context. But the decision of what's cool and what's not cool isn't up to me. I'm too old. So the next question I want to ask is one for the subscribers. It's not every day that you get a one-on-one -on -one with someone as deeply involved in the movie industry as yourself. Several of my subscribers are very curious to know, what is it that you did back at Lionsgate? You know, when I first came to Hollywood in 1977, it was really to be a superstar movie director. <clears throat> and it didn't quite work out that way. Um, uh, I didn't end up being a waiter like a lot of the people that come here to be superstar directors, but I, but I, you know, took a certain path in my career and I got into the music video business and, you know, was very, very fortunate to work with some of the most talented creative people and, and rock stars and the rest of it. I mean, a lot of the people that I worked with in the music video days went on to become, I mean, I think three or four guys who were my directors of photography on my music videos back then won the Oscar for best DP, best director of photography in later years. By the time I got to Lionsgate, I had shifted a bit more into the distribution part of the business. And, you know, there's always a debate about is content king or is distribution king? You know, it's a tough one to answer, but, um, uh, but the, the, the area of distribution, I would argue, is that you, it doesn't matter how great your content is, you have the greatest content in the world. If you don't have distribution for it, it doesn't friggin' matter. So distribution ultimately, in my opinion, becomes king. And distribution um, was something I became really interested in when I started a company called Cinema Now, which, which started in 1999 to deliver movies and TV shows over this brand new platform that was known as the internet. And so we were very, very early on. One of the first meetings I ever had in January of 2000 was with a guy named uh, Reed Hastings and his side, uh, his partner, Ted Sarandos. Some, some viewers might know those names. Those are the two head guys, two co-CEOs now of Netflix. And 
And I, I met with them saying, hey, don't, shouldn't you deliver movies over the internet? Your company's called Netflix. And Reed said, yeah, we're going to do that in about 10 years. And that's what they did. They waited about 10 years. Um, but uh, but the, 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 the thing that I was going to say was in terms of the movie side of the business, on the distribution side, I became fascinated with that process of what was happening in distribution. And when I joined Lionsgate, Lionsgate was an investor in Cinema Now and my company in 1999, which is when I met John Feltheimer and Michael Burns, who remain to this day the CEO and vice chairman, respectively, of Lionsgate. They started in, in 99, and they're still there to this day. And they were on my board of Cinema Now. And that's how we all got to know each other. When I finally left Cinema Now in, 19, in 2008, they asked me to come over and take the position as president of digital at Lionsgate. Well, in those days, there was no president of digital. There wasn't a digital group in most studios. And so my, biz, my job there was really uh, uh, distributing movies and TV shows from their library to these new fledgling streaming companies that were out there. I mean, I, one of the first deals I ever did was licensing a Showtime series that Lionsgate made called Weeds, to uh, Netflix and uh, it was for virtually nothing and no one could believe that I got any money for it for for this for, for streaming you know years later before I left when we licensed Mad Men it was for I don't know a thousand times that amount or something and now it would be 10,000 times that amount so a, a, a scope of magnitude magnitude of what those Shows yeah, and I think I think Netflix in, in 2008, it was $5,000 per episode per year. And Mad Men, I think, uh, was 750000 per episode per year, four years later. So and, and now and now 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 Mad Men would be $10 million per episode. Per yeah. year. You know, five to 10 million somewhere. Now. I don't know exactly. But point is, is that it's changed in order of magnitude. And trust me, no one, no one will ever tell you that in 2000 or 2008 would have ever predicted Netflix would have the kind of value that it has today. No one. I mean, Blockbuster, uh, Blockbuster Video was an investor in Cinema Now. Yeah. And Blockbuster Video was, had an offer. It's, this is public information. It's on the internet. Blockbuster Video had an offer to buy Netflix for $50 million. Five zero million. Okay. And they turned it down in, in 2000 and laughed at them basically saying like, why the hell would we ever spend that much money for that much money? We'll just build it ourselves. Well, we all know what happened with that. So, you know, the, 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 but, but to go back to your question, um, the movie making industry is fascinating because um, it's a business. And I always say it's called show business because it's half show and half business. And the movie making decision making process is a hell of a lot more business oriented than people might realize. And there are even movies that are green lit that are green lit, meaning made just on the basis of uh, the business case around it, not the creative. Mm -hmm. And so they're very, you hear, you read a lot, if you follow the movie business, you read a lot about people that are bankable stars. That means people that can get a project green light just because their name is attached to the project. You know, Tom Cruise, Matthew McConaughey, et cetera, et cetera. There's very, very, very few of those people. I mean, close to zero. Of the, all the actors on the planet Earth, you know, there's, there's, there's one, you know, millionth of 1% that are truly bankable that based on their, on their name can get a picture made. And most people, it's a business decision. It's a business decision about what's the distribution, who's in it, can they sell on TV internationally, all the rest of these decisions. So one of the most fascinating parts for me, actually, of my years spent in and around the movie business 
was the uh, dynamic of what actually got a, a film made. I mean, there were film made, films that got made based completely on their cast uh, and how much that cast was worth on the various distribution markets as compared to the script. And everybody's like, I oh, have the script, we can rewrite that, no problem. I say all the time, producing a, doesn't matter if it's a movie, a TV show, a music video, commercial, whatever, okay? There's an idea, you get like a hundred people or in some cases a thousand people together to manifest that original idea. Doesn't matter whether it's Star Wars or a Mercedes commercial, you know, the cameraman, the grip, the producers, the actors, the writers, the this, the that, the, the, you get all those people from this vision that started and you try to come out with something that somehow resembles that vision yeah. and then find out if people actually like it or not. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a very, very challenging process because you're getting a lot of type A personalities and people all have, you want the best people, so they're all gonna have different opinions. And, and part of the producer's job, my job, was trying to keep everybody moving down the path so that we didn't you know, go a hundred different directions with a hundred different people. Startups and businesses are exactly the same. They're exactly the same as producing a movie. Yeah. And a lot of talented people in with different opinions, filling different different functions. And, you know, Mel Gibson, when he got asked about Braveheart, I remember, I think it was his speech at the, at the Oscars, uh, said, you know, they said, how could you possibly as an actor become a best director of, of the film, you know, best picture? And he said, that's because I knew who the right people to hire were. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So anyway. That's all that to say. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, we could go on, we could go on a long time. It's an inexhaustible sort of subject. Releasing movies directly to streaming has had very mixed results. Do you see this as the future of film release? Yeah, I mean, a story, a story that, uh, that you know, people might be interested in is that Saw almost went direct to video. It was going to go direct to video because everybody thought it was too outrageous. And one of the guys, a guy named Peter Block at Lionsgate, basically said, I'll quit if you don't put it out theatrically, convince people to do that. And the rest is history. It became a billion, multi-billion dollar franchise for Lionsgate. Yeah. Um, but uh, no one even with Hunger Games, when Hunger Games was first pitched inside of Lionsgate, all the major studios passed on Lionsgate. And the woman who unfortunately has passed away now, who brought that into Lionsgate, uh, when she first pitched it, I was in the room when it happened. And, and the, 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 it was like, the, why did the studios all pass on this? And she said, well, it's kind of about kids killing kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, CEO of Lionsgate was like, oh, great. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, let's put a movie out about kids killing kids. That sounds like a great idea. No wonder they passed on it. And ultimately, you know, she got through it and explained it and, and, you know, there's controversy over Jennifer Lawrence being in it and all sorts of different things happen in that process, but the rest is history. Yeah. So it's never a straight, it's, it, it's, it's never, making these movies or TV shows is never a straight line path. It's like this all the time. I actually was one of the people that kind of uh, partially discovered Matt LeBlanc from Friends. Oh. He was in a couple videos for us, but he, he starred in a Bon Jovi video. Okay, and that was before Friends, I imagine. Yeah, before friends. I remember when he got friends, he called me up, dude, I think I got really something that could be big. <laughs> Hundred million dollars later or whatever, probably more than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. But I mean, when I knew him, he was a, you know, classic struggling young actor, good looking guy kind of a male model type looking guy. I remember when we put him into the Bon Jovi video, John, 
says to, to Wayne, my partner, and I like, what, what the fuck are you guys doing putting a guy that good looking into the video, man? I don't want to compete with him. <laughs> That's awesome. It seems like every specialty channel and distribution company wants to have their own streaming platform nowadays. It's an incredibly popular business model. It's profitable. It works. Uh, who do you see as the winners and the losers in the space and why? I think the streaming wars have kind of really just truly begun. Um, and I think the impact of who, how that all shakes out, because everything always takes longer than any of the pundits and analysts seem to think it will. Yeah. Um, uh, whether it's the electric car or whether it's the, you know, the, the shutdown of movie theaters, non-corona related. Um, the, the, I think that what's happened is Netflix really defined the era of, of subscription video on demand services being the home of great content. And so I think what's happened is over time, the best writers uh, gravitated towards the television area because there was a lot more content that was being made for that than there was in, in movies. There's only so many movies that get released to theaters and seen by, by big audiences. And so the best writers um, started to gravitate towards writing for these new mediums. Well, what happens when the best material is being written for these mediums? The actors wanna be in that material. So you get something, um, like a true detective that suddenly has a Matthew McConaughey and, and Woody Harrelson in it that, you know, actors that never would have previously been in a TV show or a non-movie uh, format thing. You know, House of Cards with Kevin Spacey. Well, House of Cards, again, sort of defined it with Spacey and, and, and Fincher. And, mm -hmm. and at the time, you know, everybody thought that was, there was a lot of, you know, people that believe that was a crazy move on their part to be spending over $100 million on a series from Netflix. And that, you know, to their credit, really revolutionized a lot of a, a lot of the way things have changed over the last decade plus. And so I think now what's happened is these actors and their agents and lawyers and uh, uh, and the creative community has realized that uh, digital media and 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 that includes TikTok, Instagram you know, YouTube, et cetera, is no longer sort of this wasteland. It's a place where you've got huge audiences that are consuming things. And ultimately, at the end of the day, what do you want to do? You want to attract an audience to the content that you're creating. And so I think that's, that's going to continue to change. I mean, I do believe that these platforms have their own definition of what they are. I mean, I don't think TikTok's going to start, suddenly start to do, you know, drama series that are intense and whatever. I, I don't personally see that happening. Or, or Instagram stories becoming these like really intense things, et cetera. But even like Snap on, on, on their Discover area, they're starting to get more and more serious content. Um, as I said a few minutes ago, I think a lot of the creators uh, and the talent in front of the camera uh, are the ones that the new audiences that are coming up again, irrespective of whether you're talking about North America or Europe or Africa or South America, these are the people that the kids are interested, interested in. I mean, my, my teenage daughters are much more interested in the stars of TikTok than they are in the stars, most of the stars that are in movies that are going to movie theaters right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, do you see that this online streaming space is going to get saturated at some point? Is, it, is there going to be a cap? Well, we've already, we've already had our first, you know, mega victim of the, of the streaming wars, which is Quibi. And I don't know, are you familiar with Quibi? Yeah, I've heard about them. Yeah, it was a... Yeah, well, you know, Quibi, Quibi raised 1.75 billion U.S. dollars, okay? 1.75 billion U.S. dollars launched six months ago in April, and they just announced that they were shutting down a week ago. 
And um, part of the reason is to return the remaining 350 million that they have left to their investors. But that means they blew through, you know, well over like $1.4 billion before that. Well, it didn't work. You know, they couldn't compete against the Netflix and the, and the you know, HBOs and the HBO Maxes and the, the uh, Disney Pluses of the world. Um, it was just too much pressure. I mean, I do think the one thing that's changed is that the ubiquitous nature of being able to watch video content at any time, anywhere, seven days a week is such a quantum shift from... 1990 pre-internet days where you could watch video in one place, the television, when you got home. Mm-hmm. So unless you were a housewife that was home in the middle of the day, which is why soap operas were popular, or whether you were you know, a sports guy watching sports on weekends, et cetera, that was it. And, and so the, if, you, if you really think about the fact that this, this video player device that we all have on us, 24-7 has the ability to play high-quality video, then that just by definition means that the consumption will go up logarithmically. And so that's what's driven this mass amount of content that's being created. At QU Media, what we're interested in is the specific area of the shorter form content and the digital content creators that speak to the younger audience. That's what we're focused on. The reality is, is that the world's changed in terms of what's happening there. And we're, we've, we've built a business to change with that. Yeah, that's awesome. It seems like you guys are really sort of at the forefront of the market in Netflix as well. I don't know. Could you tell us maybe a bit more about the competitive landscape in India? Yeah, I mean, we had a bit of a, um, you know, I, I have a reputation in my career of being uh, early and in some cases too early. I mean, Cinema Now in 1999 was too early. The reality is, is when we started this company up, you know, over four years ago with sort of this concept, really almost five years ago now, um, we thought we were either late or in the right spot at the right time. In hindsight, now, five years later, we were too early. And um, that's okay. Uh, It's part of the reason our stock's depleted right now. It's part of the reason that we haven't reached the place where we thought we were going to reach. Not completely that, but it's a large part of that because we're just too early. And it wasn't taken sort of seriously by the, the outlets that we were looking at, et cetera. So now we think that that's changed. India specifically, the reason that we are in India um, was a bit by just serendipitous luck initially, because uh, we, we were actually in 35 countries around the world with our stuff at one point. The problem we had is that we weren't a big enough company on a cap- capitalized basis or on any basis to be expanding into 35 countries. It was a mistake. And you would have thought that, you know, us being guys that had been around the bush several times would know better, but we didn't. We got seduced by our own press releases and our own vision and and of what was happening. And we went way too wide, way too fast, and we couldn't support it. And so we flipped that strategy around completely. We run an influencer marketing business and and that's it here in the United States market. And we run a full scale blown content channel and content network in India. Why India? India has the largest number of people of any country on the planet earth under the age of 25. India has the fastest growing uh, uh, mobile phone and internet infrastructure and usership base of anywhere on the planet planet Earth. Uh, 
India has a huge uh, English-speaking population and a growing population of educated kids that's rivaled only by China. Uh, India had the British there for a long time, so there's a rule of law there. All contracts are in English, all business is done in English, so it's possible to work there as an incoming company. And India has a massive group of content creators and digital artists and digital social media stars across YouTube, Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, Snap, was TikTok till it got banned there, now on other TikTok style apps, Chingari, et cetera. So the reason we chose that was when you've got one point, you know, almost 1.3 billion people and all those things going on, if you can get the right product mix and the right distribution mix, then we, we were absolutely convinced that there's an ability to monetize that. And that's the, that's the rocket ship that we feel is just about to take off. That's awesome. That's an awesome answer, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Would you qualify QU as the Netflix of India or is that too big? No, no we don't. We're, um, uh, our our uh, model is all advertiser supported. It's one of the reasons that distribution was so critical for us um, because any ad supported model to work has to reach a lot of people. And also in India, you know, you've got very low CPMs, meaning cost per thousand views that you get as compared to a developed country. So you really need a lot of people there. Currently, we reach 610 million people. When I say 610 million people, I mean we're on platforms that have people of monthly average users on those platforms or subscribers on those platforms that total 610 million people. So we're, again, we're, we're aggregating and concentrating into areas where there are audiences that we can hit. So that crosses television, where we currently reach about 55 million television households in India. And, and we're a regular channel there, regular TV channel running 24-7, 365. We are on OTT platforms, meaning over the top, fiber or digitally delivered platforms. There's one called MX Player. There's another one called Z5. There's another one called Dishwacho. These would be the equivalent of OTT platforms here in the US market. And we're also on mobile carrier platforms there. <clears throat> GOTV, Airtel Extreme. These are major platforms with a lot of people that are on them watching video. Geo is uh, exploding in India. And why are all these companies, I mean, these are some of the smartest most progressive companies in the world. Why is Amazon so focused on India and spending billions and billions of dollars there? Why is uh, Netflix so focused on India, spending billions of dollars there? Why is uh, uh, Walmart in India? Why is Google going into India? Facebook has more users in India than any other country in the world, okay? So India is a super, super important place. And so what we decided to do was say, let's go into India, Let's prove from soup to nuts, top to bottom, our model. And when we prove this thing, then we can think about going elsewhere with it. But let's go into a place where we know we can do some damage and really make this thing work. And that's why we've stuck to it there. I mean, it seems like it's been working pretty well for you guys. I mean, your growth numbers are absolutely insane. I mean, even if you look on a month-to-month basis. Yeah, well, look, what's happened is the bottom line is, is that India has been a process. And I was talking to an Indian investor the other day and, you know, he was kind of saying like, if you go into India and you're serious about India and you really want to do something in India, you almost have to be on like a 10 year, you know, view of what it's going to take to do that because it's, 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 and, and if you stick with it and you succeed, then the, 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 the value that's created can be astronomical. 
And, but it takes time and you got to stick with it and governmental shit and all sorts of things that can be slow and painful getting them done. And so we've been grinding in India now for going on our third year. Mm-hmm. And the first step in our India strategy was get deals done with the top social media stars and creators with their content so we can have the content that's curating what people want to watch. That was step number one. And that's not, that, that never ends. That's going on as we speak this while I'm talking. We're trying to find better and better content every day. The second thing was get distribution because if we're going to run an ad supported platform, we got to be everywhere that people can possibly watch and consume this. So we went out to work on distribution deals. Those take a long time to friggin make happen. Then we started 2020 and this was going to be the year of monetization. And the year of monetization started in that direction in February of this year. And if you and I were speaking in February, I would have told you this year, boom, we're going through the roof. Well, guess what happened? This little thing called Rona happened in March of 2020. And guess what else happened with the advertising business just imploded. Because think about who advertises, you know, travel stuff, uh, automotive, uh, um, hotels, airlines, uh, uh, retail, all, all the stuff. I mean, it's been, you know, you even see somebody who's really succeeding like a Roku and you look at their audience viewership has gone through the roof because of Rona. their advertising revenue, they've been just doing Klein and scratching to keep it the same. Most of the broadcast networks have had way increased viewership, but dropping ad revenues because advertisers have pulled way back. Well, we're a new guy on the block and who's the first guy who gets chopped off from the plan when you walk in? It's not Disney and Sony and you know those guys, it's the new guy that comes in, is like selling in this thing to say, go onto my channel, et cetera. I don't know, we'll do that after. So we really had a hard summer in India in terms of ad sales, because that's where we were. Monetization is step three. Then, you know, step four and the final thing is to create a brand identity so that you walk to meet a kid in India and they say, have you ever heard of the Q? They go, yeah, I watch the Q all the time. I love the Q. That's the next phase. But phase, phase three is monetization. We've just reinvigorated that now. I mean, I think everybody around the world is coming out of their haze a little bit. I know that cases are up. I'm not trying to sound like Donald Trump. I'm just saying that I think people are sort of saying, hey, look, we've got to live with this for a while. So let's figure out how to get our back to business as much as we possibly can or adjust our business to work in a way that's going to be subject to the to the challenges. of. And so I think we're really seeing that. We're seeing it in our influencer marketing business here in the U.S. in a big way. And we're seeing it in India in a big way. In the meantime, what happened while we're trying to get all this monetization to go, we kept getting better programming because that was something we could do. So we kept getting better shows, better shows, better shows. And our ratings just kept going boom, 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 up, 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 up. And they continue to go up, 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 up. So while we've been working on that, now we're walking into the agencies and saying, hey, guess what? I know you had to wait, but look at this audience that we're producing now. Look at the trajectory of this audience. And that's why we're really excited and pumped about what's going on there right now. That's awesome. I mean, a lot of businesses have been hit by the Rona. And do you think there's going to be consolidation in the industry? Like, are, are, who's going to be buying who? And uh, I guess a, a side sub-question of that would be, um, are there any specific industry targets that you would be interested in acquiring? Um, I think only a, like a maybe a short-form five-minute investor platform of some sort would be interesting for us to acquire. Oh, Um, uh, no, I I think we've had some exclusive content created for us by creators in India. 
Um, so that's been interesting. And that's been driven by the fact that we can put them on television. Because one of the interesting parts, our Trojan horse in a way in India, which sounds you know counterintuitive, is our television platform distribution. Because all these, all these you know, digital creators, they can't get on TV. I mean, still for, if you're a YouTuber or an Instagrammer or a TikToker, if they said, hey, you've got a show on television, they'd be like, oh my God, really? I got a TV show? Well, that TV show probably would get less viewership in one month than they got in one day on their core platform. But it's the fact that television still sits as the gold standard of distribution because of scarcity, because not anybody can get on there. And so we use that scarcity of being on TV in India as our Trojan horse to be able to get the best content from the best creators to come and do a deal with us because we're getting them on TV, which they can't do. Ultimately, we distribute them everywhere else as well, but that's a, a big driver for us. I mean, it's interesting. I just had a conversation last week about you know, Netflix. Everybody, everybody's forgotten that Netflix was a company that was delivering DVDs to your mailbox using yeah. the mailman. If you think about that today, you kind of go like, what? This company worth $300 billion 20 years ago is delivering, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 12 years ago is delivering a physical item using the postal service that you, what? It doesn't even almost seem possible. Yeah. It's almost like trying to imagine Amazon just sold books. You know, it's like, what? Well, in India, we're just, we're delivering digital content creators into the television arena. Someday we'll look back and go, God, remember when it was all about TV that we got everybody? Now it's about all the mobile and the this and the that or the other thing. So we literally are using that as a Trojan horse. And again, it's one of the reasons we know we've got a trajectory because I'm a huge believer that history, things don't change that much. People, people's People don't change that much. The technology changes and the way you get to your content changes and all of that. But people still want to watch stuff that they like. People still want to talk to their friends about it. It used to be that you went to the water cooler at work to talk about it. Now you get on and you text your friends or go into a group chat about it. But you're still talking with your friends about it. So TV is going to be our Trojan horse in India. I'm convinced of that. And we'll look back five years from now and go, holy shit, thank God we were on TV because that's what really made this thing happen. So, I mean, it's why, you know, it's why Tesla only made one car. You know, it wasn't that he couldn't have made more cars. It's that, okay, I'm going to get the market established on one that everybody wants that one. And then we'll go and start making trucks and all the other shit that we're going to make. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, I mean, so far the interview has been absolutely amazing. I, I really want to. <laughs> good luck. Good luck cutting it to five minutes. <laughs> what I was going to propose is maybe what we could do is a quick little, I shoot you questions. You give me the short answers just for sure. fun, just to yeah, get, them, and then, uh, and then we'll take it from there. Flashcard, flashcard session. Let's do it. I, I want to talk about uh, the future of movie releases really fast. Uh, do you think um, releasing content directly to streaming is going to be the future? Because so far from what we've seen is that it's had mixed results. I don't think movie theaters are going to go away in any short time period. They will reopen eventually. People like that community viewing effort. But what's called PVOD, premium video on demand, which is charging more than theater prices to sit in your living room and watch a movie when it first comes out, is absolutely going to grow as a result of both the technology and Rona. And so, so in your opinion, this, I mean, streaming is not going to take over cinemas. Uh, like 50 years from now, we could still probably expect <clears throat> physical location cinemas to exist? 
Yeah, I mean, I think everybody went home. When VHS tapes came out and home video, everybody said it was going to shut down movie theaters. Why don't people go to movie theaters anymore? I don't think streaming is going to shut it down either. I do think movie theaters have already gone through the process of reinvention of offering food and drinks and lounge seats and other experiences that you can't get in a home theater for most people. So I don't see theaters going away in, in, in a short time period. Okay. And side sub question as well. Uh, do you have any sides, uh, inside scoops that you could tell us about Avatar 2? Do you know uh, what's going on about that? Uh, I, you know, it's funny. I haven't heard a lot about what's going on with Avatar 2. I'm sure it got delayed because of Rona, just like everything did. Um, so it's hard for me to imagine that they put out Avatar 2 before theaters are opened en masse. All right. Fun question. Netflix's market cap is $222 billion. I just checked yesterday. So... What do you think is the value, the actual value of Netflix's content library? Just uh, if you had to guess. Oh boy. Uh, I think what Netflix's real value is, is their global subscriber base. I would say of that 220 time, 22 billion market cap, the content library is a very, very, very small piece of that. What's a big piece of that is recurring revenue driven by subscribers. Okay. And, and, I know you guys don't necessarily have the same business model as Netflix, but how, how could that maybe compare to QU in terms of, the well, you know, I'll, I'll be thrilled if we become worth, you know, 1%, that would be 2.2 billion. So I'll, I'll take 2.2 billion as a valuation. Um, uh, we're not really, again, we don't see ourselves competing with Netflix really. Um, uh, I do think that we sit in a place where we have an opportunity of becoming something that could be phenomenal, uh, have phenomenal growth around the streaming space and around the digital content space. But again, we're, we, we believe in free. And so we really want to be able to offer that content for free because we think our younger audiences that we're really going after are people that in some cases don't even have a credit card or don't have any ability to pay and they want to watch it for free. And I think platforms like Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, WhatsApp, uh, TikTok, Snap are, have all been offered on a free basis. And that's the, that's the audience that we want to pursue more than the Netflix audience. And is there at some point perhaps a QU plus or something uh, where uh, you will have a paid section? Yeah, I think that's possible, uh, you know, sort of a freemium model, but I mean, that's honestly not really on the, that's not, that's not even a, uh, at the end of the whiteboard right now, you know, anything's possible, but I, I, it'll be 10 years from now. Okay. 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 So th the next question is one that's for uh, more of the finance people here to looking in terms of the stock. Um, I mean, what, what obviously a lot of investors are looking for is growth. I mean, Q is definitely looking promising. Um, however, one thing I do want to ask, I've noticed in, in your financial statements is that you've doubled your share count uh, from 2019 to 2020. Can you give us more insight into that decision? Oftentimes, that's something that could really worry investors. So I'm wondering uh, if you could tell us more about it. Yeah, we've, um, you know, we're, we're, uh, uh, not happy, but not going to hide from the fact that we made a lot of mistakes and a lot of missteps and in many ways rebooted the business in a lot of different ways in terms of what's happened over the last, say, 18 months uh, in terms of focusing on two categories, influencer marketing in the U.S., India. That's it. That's all we're doing. We were doing a lot more than that. I was burning a lot of cash and we were off into all sorts of different directions. We're not going to do that anymore. So as a result of that, we needed to raise more capital to be able to keep fuel in the tanks. 
We think that we've got enough capital now to get to where we need to be in terms of getting the cash flow break even, which is the next big goal that we're going after in 2021. And I think that, um, uh, you know, you're not going to see that really in, in uh, uh, this quarter that just passed that ended September 30, because that was still in the, in the, in the you know, absolute throes of Rona. impact on our business, et cetera, et cetera. I think you'll see it in a big way in the quarter that we're currently in. And then you'll really see it in 2021. So I think if investors come in now and they watch what happens, not just in terms of the non-financial metrics, but to watch the financial metrics of the company from this quarter that we're currently in, calendar Q4 of 2020 going forward, they'll see some real growth in the numbers that will become compelling. Okay. We have you know, warrants that are out there on some of the financings that we've done. I don't see any you know, major dilution financing events uh, certainly on the immediate horizon. Um, we, you know, I mean, in, in, in one sense, I would argue that all companies are always out raising money. You know, it's just kind of part of what you do. Uh, so you're always looking for that. We're not thrilled to be raising a lot of money at these levels because we think this is, you know, we sort of bottomed out. We've creeped up from the bottom to where we are trading at today, but we think there's going to be you know, some, some real growth that'll happen between now and the end of the year. And then we see some, we're expecting some, you know, major growth that's going to happen in 20, 2021 based on fundamental performance. Okay. That's good to know for investors. Thank you so much. Uh, I guess um, before last question, this one is again, it's for the subscribers, but not necessarily specific to the film industry. Um, you know, what right now, as I'm sure you've uh, heard about the stock market has sort of taken a little dip in the past week. Do right. you think uh, the stock market in general is overvalued or undervalued? Do you see a lot of inflation on the horizon? This is more of a macro type of yeah. stuff. Um, look, I'd be an analyst on, you know, CBC or, or not or CNBC or whatever you call the one up there. I'm drawing a blank in Canada, but uh, BNN. I think the election is going to have a lot to do with what happens in the market. I really do. That's just mainly a feeling about, I think what will happen is people will get scared. There'll be a lot of tax loss selling at the end of the year. Uh, they'll be worried about the tax rates uh, going up in the U S and, you know, look, as much as America's maybe lost its luster as a world power over the last several years in many ways, the fact of the matter is the U S market affects all the markets in a huge way. The flip side of that answer is, uh, I don't think you're going to see the guys that are really driving the market now in reality, which means the Amazons, uh, the Facebooks, the, Google, the Alphabets, the uh, Microsofts. Um, I don't think, think you're going to see them get hurt by any of this stuff. And so uh, there's an argument that's pretty easy to be made that the Netflix even, that these, these companies are going to see continued uh, substantial growth and that that ultimately is going to drive the market. So it's a tough one. You know, look. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a really, it's, it's really tough to predict that. I also think you see that the rise in value of a company like Snapchat, where we've had some great success on Snapchat lately, uh, and the rise in their stock, particularly in terms of uh, what's been driven by the international business for Snap. I think you see the money that Google, Facebook, and others that I mentioned are pouring into India is a great indicator that we're in the right place at the right time. So we think the, the convergence of what's happening from a lot of signposts say that our business and our company is in a place that's going to see tremendous amount of growth over the next three to five years. Awesome. Having a successful mindset really isn't a given to everyone. As an aspiring entrepreneur myself, um, I was wondering, do you have any specific 
rituals or slash habits that you feel contribute to your success? Uh, do you have, basically, do you have any good tips for us? Yeah, I think um, work harder and then work harder. Um, you know, I think when you look at the most successful people on the planet, I don't care whether it's Jeff Bezos or, or Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or, you know, name whoever you want to name, you'll find one thing that's consistent about all those guys. They work their frigging asses off. Okay. Even when they have been billionaires yeah. or you know, billionaires a million times over, they work their asses off and there's no substitute for that. And, um, you know, the, 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 you know, Mark Cuban, a lot of people talk about, oh, he got lucky. He didn't get lucky. He worked his ass off and he still works his ass off. Uh, Kevin O'Leary in Canada, he works his ass off. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, these guys, they are not, they're not sitting around with their feet up waiting for something to happen. They're making things happen. And so anybody who thinks that they're just going to come up with some great idea and be an overnight success and it's just going to go boom and there it is, it's all BS. I mean, these are all fairy tales. The, the people, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, he's working his ass off every day. Yeah, he's got a lot of money and he enjoys that, but he's under intense pressure on a daily basis to perform, 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 perform. Reed Hastings at Netflix, same thing. You know, the guys who run Disney, same thing. So... My biggest piece of advice is, is work hard and then work harder. That's number one. Number two is know that everything takes longer than, than you think it's going to take. Very, very, very rare for things to ha happen faster than you're expecting. It almost always takes longer. I used to say to people, if you're doing a budget for your, for your business, cut it in a third and then cross your fingers and hope that you can make it happen that fast even though you think you've been conservative in your original projections. It's part of the story of QU Media. We've been at this for a while and I don't give up because I have enough experience and knowledge to know that if we keep staying there, I always say to my, to my guys who work for me, can't win the tournament unless you're still in it. And so we're still in the tournament and we've taken some beatings, but you know, there are teams that start out in the year and go, you know, two and eight and end up getting into the, you know, World Series or Super Bowl or, you know, Stanley Cup or name your, name your sport. And so that's how we view our business right now is we, we, we didn't start out uh, as well as we wanted to and expected to, but that doesn't mean it's game over. We've got a lot of fuel left to, to make this thing happen. Now, the one other tip I would say is, you know, you got to, it, it, it's a bit of a cliche and it's a bit BS too, but you got to love what you do. I am kind of a person who say I've never worked a day in my life because I've always loved what I'm doing. You know, there've been days that have been real shit. Trust me, a lot of them. Um, but, but I do love what I do. I do love building new things. I do love being in the middle of things that are happening, things that are fresh. I do love to try to do things that people say are impossible. And, um, and you need to love that. You need to, you, need to, you need to love to take stuff on and prove that you can do something that people didn't think was going to happen. Or, you know, you should just go work at your nine to five job, get your paycheck and, and not be in that scene. Because it's, it's, it, it's, it's too much stress and work otherwise. Yeah. If you're not a hustler at heart, uh, if you haven't done a hustle during Rona, then you're not a hustler. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of people, especially, I mean, this is just personal from personal experience. I mean, they're unhappy with their lives, but they're not doing anything to change it at the same yeah. time. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'm a really huge ag advocate of being proactive and, you know, just following whatever your dream is, you know, whatever you think you can do, just do it. There's no excuses, you know? Absolutely. That was a heck of an excellent interview. We have a man of the culture, Kurt Marvis. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. You have been absolutely amazing. As we near the end of the interview, 
All that's left to do is one tiny little thing. Take it away, Kurt Marvis, with the closing statement. For those of you who are viewing this, if you can please look at the screen and gently obliterate the like button and subscribe.